cat who uh, like a cat who like really did it. And of course, his first question was, "How did he get caught?" Yeah, and he needed to connect. I'm like, bro, you 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 just that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. He's like, how can how can he get put on? You know what I'm saying? Because he said, obviously, you know, he did it. He got caught. He's back out. So he knows all the mistakes. So it's better time to do it than ever in his mind. But nah. But uh. The whole the whole purpose of this is pretty much as a as a designer, I really my inspiration doesn't come from other designers. My inspiration, the people that inspire me have always been people from the hood, people who came from nothing or something. Um, I'm obsessed with just interesting stories, you know, like um I had family members who've been in prison. I know a lot of people who, man, did, who've murdered, who've uh, sold drugs. So those stories kind of keep me on my toes and are like life lessons almost. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not into the cookie cutter story per se. So when I met you and your story, uh, man, it was... In a crazy sense, it's beautiful because of how, not that the story's over, but where you are now. Because every time I would come in here, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's something I would never would have guessed that. If someone told me, hey, do you think this guy did this and lived this type of way? I never would have picked, I never would have picked you for that person. Right. So the fact that, you can bounce back from that so well is, is super interesting. So I had to, you know, do this podcast with you. I, I'd done this podcast before, but it was it was more about just creative people and the things they, you know, inspire them and how they made it to where they, they are now. But I feel like now in today's age, being here in Austin, your story is is you know light should be shined on that so uh i want to start off with you know just you introducing yourself and you know what you do now and we'll, we'll kind of go from there yeah so <clears throat> you know me as Maltagoya. yeah as a barber here in austin texas but originally from grand rapids michigan and uh so you would know me uh by danny right right so how did how was it growing up in Grand Rapids? You know, everyone's pretty familiar with Detroit and and, and that whole scene, but what how was how was growing up back then in Grand Rapids? So Grand Rapids is a uh, an interesting place to grow up in. I'm glad I'm in Austin, Texas, as it's uh when you come from Michigan you probably would appreciate Austin, Texas. But to grow up in Grand Rapids is not necessarily bad. It, it's you know it, it, there's a big divide between the haves and half-nots in Grand Rapids. Right, right. And uh, but where I actually come from is, I would say in, in right in the middle. Right. So not a not a not a bad neighborhood, not a good neighborhood. So how how are you in in school? Cause you seem like a really a really smart dude. So how was how was school for you? Just were you always in trouble? Was were you playing sports? What what type of kid uh, were you back then? I was um, 
I was a good athlete. I played all the sports. Yeah. And uh, was popular in school. Um, grades were, I was a pretty good student. Yeah. I would go, my grades would go up and down, but I didn't study a whole lot, but in general, I got pretty good grades. Right. So did you, like, when did things kind of change up for you? When did you kind of, you know, started to go a different route? Because, you know, most, if you're playing sports, you you sound like, you know, most most teenagers at the time, but where did things kind of start going left? So it depends how, how in-depth you want to get with that. I guess things can, uh, the possibility of things going left probably started in middle school. Right. And that's when you start, you know, uh, like anybody else, probably petty theft, right. stealing from the gas stations, right, yeah. little things like that, stealing uh, maybe Dolly Madison snacks on the way to school, not eating breakfast at home, you know, yeah. eating snacks at, you know, from stealing from the gas station, stealing candy from the gas station, yeah. things like that. But it wasn't probably until high school that, uh, that things really uh, started opening up. Okay, so I, I'm not sure how to how to access or how to word it necessarily. So, when did you start like really wanting to to get into that type type life? I, I'm not gonna just come out and say it. I kind of want you to kind of explain it. So, how did you hustling? Yeah, how did you start it? Yeah, so uh, I say probably like a lot of people in high school, we were, um, so, okay, I tell y'all like this. In high school, you know, I played basketball, and I was a good ball player. Yeah. But uh, we would get high during lunch. We yeah. would get drunk during lunch. and we would, Sometimes we'd come back, sometimes we wouldn't. Yeah. But basketball was what was constant for us. Yeah. And then, so, as you guys can imagine, with that, you know, we're, now we go hoop drunk. We go hoop high. And then, so what happens then, I guess, you start looking at ways that you can, that you, that you need, that you can come up with money to maybe get gas money, maybe get weed, maybe get some drinks. Because right. we were, I mean, we come from uh, turning in, uh, gathering pop cans to turn in for gas money. Right, right. I remember picking up my homeboy Marcus, and he lived a few blocks away from me. But I didn't have any gas. I was blessed with a car. My 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 mom gave me a car when I was sixteen, right. but I didn't have any money to you know put gas, and that was something I had to do. Right. So we would you know look for loose pop cans, turn them in, you know get a few dollars worth of gas or whatever. Right, right. And back then, gas was still. It was still cheap. Yeah, gas it was still was cheap. okay. So, but when did it become something like? Like, did you, did it become like an addiction? You had to keep going with it, or you know, like, when did it become your your day to day routine? Well, I would say, uh, well, I'll tell y'all like this. So we were we were buying dimes to smoke, yeah, right, dime bags of weed to smoke in the projects. Um, one you know, one dime or two for fifteen. And uh, the cat I was getting them from, probably after a few months of it, I guess you could say was the first one to kind of, what he did one day, he said, he said, man, you know what, I like you, I like your style. He said, here's five dimes, bring me back four. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like, oh, okay, well, damn, I get to smoke a free one. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so I came back. I told my homeboy, I was like, man, shit, we gotta, we could smoke one, and then we just get rid of four. That's easy. Yeah. That's probably really where it all started at. Right. Right. If you want to talk about like where, you know, selling any kind of drugs come from. Okay. So, and at this time, you you weren't cutting hair. You weren't doing. No, any... no, 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 not at all. So to to be clear, I mean, we were. We we were trying to you know like anybody come up with schemes to get money. We like I said we used to hoop a lot, and I was talking to one of the homeboys about this the other night. That what we would do is there was three of us, mm-hmm. and then what we would do is we would uh, just be shooting around at the park, and we would try to find somebody that looked like a mark. Yeah, and then we would try to swindle them into playing two on two with us and gamble with us. Ben basically, you know, yeah. the other guy will be on his team was our homeboy. Yeah. So, you know, we would hustle with stuff like that, you know. Yeah. A little petty basketball, get some money and go eat and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So once once you got those four dimes, you you sold that I guess. Mm-hmm. You just you went back and just kept going with it, just No, no, not even. Not even. At that time, um, I wasn't trying to get more weed or anything. I wasn't even thinking about that. We were just thinking about getting high at that time. And uh, But specifically, if you want to talk about hustling, um, at one point, I had $20. Yeah. And then I told the homeboy, I said, you know what? Uh, well, I think he probably he probably told me, he said, man, you should uh, get a dub, $20 dub. Yeah. So, you know, with $20, give me a dub, I get two rocks. Yeah. And then I turned around, and so I went and hollered at the guy, got me a $20 dub, got me a couple rocks, sold them, and then I, like, I don't remember what happened from there, I, I mean, at that next transaction, but I probably got a $30 dub or a $40 dub. Yeah. All right. At this time, I'm, um, I'm probably 16, and then um, I guess I could tell you guys, so I was in, um, I was in high school at the time. I think I was in my, uh, so that had to have been a 94, 95. So I was probably a junior in high school. Yeah. And uh, so I got this girl pregnant. Yeah. And then, so at this time, I'm on the verge of dropping out of high school. I, I dropped out of my senior year. Yeah. And I get uh, this girl pregnant. And, you know, we're just smoking and drinking and bullshitting. I'm probably, you know, selling a little bit of weed, like, you know, these four or five dime sacks of weed here and there. And um, I, uh, with that $20 dub, I turned around and probably got me a couple other rocks. But um, when I did drop out of school, I ended up enrolling in a uh, adult community ed. Right, right. And uh, at that time, there was a girl there that I knew that was hustling. And then we were hanging out tough a lot. And then I remember she uh, she put me on with a little bit of, let's just say, $200 worth, right? Something like that. $100, $200 worth or something like that, yeah. right? But there was another cat who, uh, who I went to school with at the adult community ed, I remember. I remember one time we had, a, we had lunch and we came out to the parking lot. And he told me uh, where he was from. And he was from a grimy hood and, and back home. 
And he was like, uh, he was like, so uh, what what do you do after school? What, what what you thinking about doing? And I told him I was going to where I was hustling at. Yeah. And at the time I was going downtown. And uh, he was like, well, let me see what you got. So I pulled out my little rocks. And they were probably little rocks. Yeah. And uh, so he was like, oh, man. He was like, you need to come down. He was like, you got a car? And he was like, you smooth with it. You need to come down to my hood. He was like, I could help put you on. Yeah. And I, uh, I remember he was like, he was like, watch this. He was like, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about tomorrow. And then I remember the next day, he came back to school and he was like, "Watch this," and he pulled out a he pulled out a knot out of his pocket. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, "What the fuck?" It was like hundred, 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 fifty, 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 twenty, yeah. twenty, 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 twenty. Yeah. yeah. And we both like seventeen years old, right? Yeah. And I was like, "What the fuck?" And he showed me his rocks he had, and he was like, uh, "He was like, fuck with me." I didn't. Yeah. But uh it kind of like motivated you. Kind of motivated me. But I tell you what though, that was in um that was probably like March of uh 96. Okay. So now we kind of fast forward a little bit, right? So, yeah. so we passed 95 or whatever, but it was like probably 96. And uh by the end of 96, everybody was talking about how he was getting it. Yeah. And then he died. He uh he was he rode his bike, um he had a motorcycle yeah and he rode his bike through uh through a window on accident, and died. That's crazy, you know. I I ride motorcycles too, and that's it actually keeps me from from riding because I know so many people that you know lost their life to to mo- and that's that's crazy because you would think you know if he was getting it like that 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 could have been the downfall but for it to be to just riding a motorcycle that's you know that's a crazy way to go out you know but they were talking about that boy was crazy talking about he was hanging out in the trees with binoculars while waiting on the police to come somebody had shot through the front door killed his brother oh man this was so. This was the the '90s. So it was a whole different. Yeah, it was a whole different animal. Yeah. So I heard that. I was like, "No, nah, I don't need to be over there." Yeah. <laughs> so, so just to fast forward a little bit, at at what point? Because I I well I kind of already know the story, but you, you did things a little bit different. It's not like, you know, I've known people who sold that type of stuff, but the shit not really organized. You know, they're really about a whole lot of rah-rah shit. The shit is not put together well. They're very sloppy. But in, I believe in your case, you you were pretty organized. And well, not at first. Yeah. Not at first. So around the same time that I'm telling you, uh, in early 1996, when I met this guy, and I decided not to go with him, I, mean, I was just doing my own thing. Yeah. I didn't have, I didn't run with anybody. I didn't have anybody put me on. I was just, you know, like I wasn't going to anybody's hood. I was going to like a neutral downtown area, basically yeah. where all these bums and you know, yeah. and just like loose crackheads and hoes and stuff running around. Yeah. And I went down there, and uh, just posted up, and uh, started, you know, selling selling dope. Yeah. Um. We're talking about probably a hundred, uh, excuse me, a couple hundred dollars worth of crack. 
yeah. at the time, right? So at that time, no, I, I wasn't I wasn't organized at all. At that time, I was just down there, just like anybody, just trying to sell dope. And I actually, I actually uh, was down there for uh, a little while, a few months, and actually got busted. Yeah. Got busted with some mark money. I would sell, you know, sell some rocks, and then I thought I was slick, and I would walk down to the corner store and buy a bag of chips, and that way they'd give me change so I could get rid of the, you know, the dirty $20 bill. Right. But uh, one day, I didn't do that in time, and they got me with some mark money. So I actually got a... I actually didn't go to jail. I don't think I told you about this one. Nah, I don't think you did. I actually didn't go to jail. They actually, uh, police ran up on me and patted me down. I had the, uh, I had, uh, at the time, I had the dope in my drawers. Right. And, um, but I had sweats on like an idiot, you know what I'm saying? And they patted me down, but they didn't feel anything. And um, they grabbed the, the mark money. But they didn't have any dope. So they let me go. Right. Right. About a week later, I had to go down to the Hall of Justice for a uh, some kind of ticket or something. Yeah. This, is, this is crazy. So I go down to the Hall of Justice to pay a ticket. And uh, from behind the counter, somebody says, hey, wait a minute. You're a... I don't know what the hell he was talking about. Yeah. And he came around the corner and arrested me for having marked money from the week before, two weeks before, whenever that was. Yeah. Arrested me on the spot and brought me down uh, to the county jail. Well, I mean, the county jail was right there. Yeah. You know? But, um, yeah, so that was my first dope case. But how could they... You just had, you just had the money on you. I mean, how did, you know, you could have... The person at the store who you bought the chips from, they could have gave that twenty to someone else. But he did he like know? No. Nah, so the story was the the crackhead that I sold it to. They had him under surveillance. Yeah. So then when he came and he was, I basically I was standing in the doorway and he walked up backwards to me like Young Blood, you you got two for thirty. Yeah. And then stuck his hand out. The police had all that on surveillance. Oh, okay. So then when I served him, he gave me the marked money, and I walked off, and they ran up on me. And then, so they didn't catch me when he dope, but they had me with the marked money. I guess they felt like they couldn't arrest me at the time because of that. Right. But then later on, they got him to testify. So like when you read the, the PSI or the, the pre-sentence investigation report, yeah. it said that, you know, uh, whatever, this guy's name bought a couple rocks from me, the police had him on surveillance, yeah. and then I get caught with the marked money, yeah. and then, you know, he testified or not or whatever. But did you, did you have the marked money when you went to, to pay the ticket? No, nah, they got it that day hey, yo, when okay. they ran up on me. Damn, why didn't he just arrest you? They didn't arrest me then? on the spot, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, So from from there... So you didn't go to, so how long did you stay in county? Yeah, so actually, so what happened was uh, at that time, they, uh, I think I just uh, was in the county for uh, probably like a week or a couple days or something. They let me out on a PR bond, but I was on probation. So we're talking about, this was probably like March or April, 1996. And then, uh, so I get out and I'm on probation. And uh, so, you know, when you're on probation, you got to go drop. Yeah. Right, so hard headed, I don't give a shit. I'm smoking weed and everything, and then a couple months later, 
I go drop and I drop dirty. Right. No tolerance. I'm still selling dope. I'm hanging out downtown selling dope. And that's a man, them, that's some stories downtown for you. Yeah. But uh um so I dropped dirty and it was no tolerance. So they threw me in uh I had to do thirty days in the county jail on a probation violation. Right. Right? But I still had the dope case pending. Oh shit, yeah. Right? <laughs> So the probation violation count against me, right? So when I do get sentenced, so my sentencing date was in November. And uh, so, like I said, I did 30 days in June. And uh, so I got out, let's just say July 1st. So now I'm out July, August, September, October, selling dope, um, smoking corn dogs and shit. Smoking corn dogs? <laughs> yeah, what smoking the fuck corn is a corn dog? dog? Smoking corn dogs, lacing uh <laughs> Lacing with weed and coke yeah, and shit, yeah. living crazy. Yeah. Me and my me and my homeboy. And um even uh even had a uh I didn't tell you about this, but even had a, a hoe at one time. <laughs> you had just one? Yeah, even had a hoe at one time. <laughs> okay, you you gotta give me a story. You gotta give me something. How how did you have just how you have just one? That's a whole nother story, <laughs> man. Had a had a had a hoe working on uh, Division Avenue, which is a whole stroll in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. So True story. In, no, in November, when November comes around, what 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 happens then? They they sentence you or Yeah, so I go to uh, the the night before we get sentenced, we stay out, me and my homeboy, and we get fucked up. We smoke yeah. smoke corn dogs, smoke weed, party all night. I show up to sentencing. No sleep, fucked up, and they give me a um, a year, a year with a potential early release to um, to like a halfway house. Yeah. Right. So at the time, I had another homeboy that used to run with me, and uh, he got busted, but he got busted with a couple rocks, and then he ended up going to uh, to prison. Right, but at the same time, it's like what I'm going through. Right. So, uh, and I bring this up because I'll tie him in the story later on. But uh, so I get sentenced to a year, and I'm in jail for I think maybe a couple months, and they send me to a, a halfway house. Yeah. So this is 1997, mm-hmm. right? I'm in a halfway house. I got to get a job. So I get a job at. McDonald's, right? <laughs> and because I don't know what I'm thinking about, I'm bringing crack into the halfway house. Yeah. Right? So one day, I had a um, a vitamin bottle with a couple rocks in there because there was a couple crack here. I mean, we're in the halfway house, right? So some yeah. of these cats inevitably <laughs> smoke crack, right? <laughs> and... uh so one day for I don't know how it happened, but one of the RAs or residential aides came up and was like, I'm gonna check the check your room. So in front of me, he picks up the vitamin bottle, opens it up, looks around, seals it back up, doesn't say anything, sets it down. And then he was like, Okay, you're good. 
And, and I mean, this is, you know, he's already been looking around the room. So he didn't just pick that up, you know. He yeah. could, like, look around everywhere. So I go take my shower, and I come back, and uh, he's like, let me talk to you. And he has the bottle. So basically he tells me, you know, I'm going to be in trouble, and then uh, the guy that runs the halfway house is going to talk to me within the next couple days. A few days pass. The guy that runs the halfway house calls me down to his office, and he says, hey, listen, he's like, you know, I know you're uh, – you're in here for a dope case for selling rocks. And he was like, but you've been, you've been in here for a couple months. And he was like, I like you. He was like, you're a good kid. You're a good dude. You're smart. He like, I play ba- he, he played basketball. He was like, I know you from hooping. He was like, you can play ball. He was like, you just need to get your shit together. And he was like, what is this? And he was like, don't lie to me. So I told him, like, yeah, I mean, shit, it cracked, man. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you need to get your shit together. He was like, I'm going to let you stay. But he was like, but you're going to have to do a little bit more time in the halfway house. And I was fine with that. Yeah. Uh, I think I was supposed to get out of the halfway house. This is probably like February or March of 19... This is probably like, I'm going to say like March, maybe April of 97. During this time, like, we... Because, you, you know, you you didn't... You finished school, but you didn't finish school in a way that most people do. So one got a GED. Yeah, so in jail. <laughs> so you didn't like mentally. You you didn't have like a a battle like with your other friends that were in high school or who graduated. Like they probably were going off to college or no contact with anybody. Like I was just it was just you, me and my homeboys. You didn't. You weren't thinking about. That other route, you didn't, you weren't thinking at the at the time. Damn, I need to you switch it up. You were just focused on just whatever you were doing with with those homeboys. Yeah, I mean, at that time, I I don't know. I guess I felt like I was. It was just gonna be what it was. Yeah. I told you I had a a whole. I'm smoking <laughs> crazy corn dogs yeah. and shit. Yeah. Drinking and selling crack. I mean, I guess. I didn't have any direction. Yeah. So, at, at that point, once you got out the ha- halfway house, would it? What was I didn't that? get out of the halfway house. Oh, so you just you stayed there the whole. No, time? so I was supposed to get out in in August and yeah. uh, August or September. So I made it all the way till August. Uh, going back a little bit, what happened one day was um, I got into some beef one day on walking on my way to McDonald's. Yeah. And um, this guy gave me a uh, like a switchblade knife. Yeah. So I used to put this knife in my shoe, and I would walk to work. And yeah, you know, I, I used to work second shift, and I, so when I got out, it would be uh, you know like one in the morning, two in the morning, or something like that. And it was a long walk, probably like forty five minute walk from McDonald's back to the halfway house. Yeah. So I had this like blade that I would keep in my shoe. Uh, after a while, I didn't put it. I didn't. I didn't bring it with me anymore. I left it in my the dresser in my room. Yeah. And so again, right before I was to leave, I was doing well. Um, they went and they did an inspection in my room, and they found this knife. So that was a violation. So from there, they sent me back to jail. 
damn. Right before I was to graduate. Um, so they sent me to this place called Honor Camp. So now I'm like way out in the country somewhere, and there's pigs and cows, and we're working every day, and uh, <clears throat> it's just a camp, you know, for jail. Yeah. Uh, so I had to do like another six months there. So my story, that's kind of like the story that leads to my story that right. you know of. Right, right. Um, so when I got out, it was January 1998. And at this point, that's when I really made a decision that I was like, well, I'm done with petty hustling. Yeah. I'm going to just go for it now. <laughs> okay, so what was... So what was your, your steps? So how did you, like, do that? Because you, you had a child at this point. Yeah. Um, Like, what, what did you... How did you start off? Did you go back to McDonald's? Did you, like, how did that begin? So, uh, you know, I don't remember if I, if I did go back. To, I might have went back to McDonald's for like a couple of weeks to get a paycheck. But it all got started by, um, I guess you could say I got $90 together. Yeah. I think me and my homeboy both got $90 together. And I think we went in and uh, we bought $180. So I think we bought a quarter. For $180. So we split that. So we went $90 a piece, and then we split what we got. Yeah. And uh, the guy that uh, we got it from, it was just circumstance, because I was trying to get from, uh, I was trying to get on with him from, so this was 1998. Yeah. And everybody knew this cat. But, um, and he was hot. Yeah. But I didn't care. You know, but I was trying to fuck with him since like '96 when I first, you know, started anything. Yeah. But he wouldn't mess with me. But in '98, I got a chance. Um. So I started with uh, my start was ninety dollars. I guess you could say ninety dollars, and I got half of a quarter, so I would have been an eight ball. Yeah. <laughs> you just got that eight ball and just went in after that, right? So I got the eight ball and uh. So I guess you could say January 1998, I started with $90, and then I took that on my own, and um, I just started running out. I, I didn't go back to the corner, right? but uh, I started meeting cats, and, and uh, so I switched the game up. I, ain't sell, I didn't sell hard anymore. Yeah. I was selling soft. I was selling powder. Right. That's what happened. And I think I, I worked that to uh, maybe like a quarter ounce of uh, powder. Then I think from there I turned around and I grabbed a couple ounces of weed and yeah. a quarter ounce of powder. And then maybe a quarter ounce of powder and a quarter pound of weed. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like a, a half pound, or excuse me, maybe like a half ounce of powder. And then a half pound. And yeah. I kind of grew it like that. So I remember in May, so this was... January, February, March, April, May. In May, I remember I got a a pound and an ounce. Yeah. Right, an ounce of powder and a pound of weed. And I thought I was doing pretty good at the time. Right? At this time, it was, uh, so I was 19, right? And, you know, a pound of weed, pound of, or an ounce, that's not, it's not a lot, but, you know, you can make, that's a couple thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. And um, at that point, I started, uh, I ran across some other cats, 
And then I started kind of hanging out with this other crowd. Um, just just a side note, what's a, when you sell soft, that's a whole different type of person. You know, because when we go out to the clubs and everything here, the DJ always selling some coke. So, and it's always the so-called pretty girls. Doing R- coke. Yeah, so mm-hmm. from selling hard to soft, was it like, like was it easier or was it, like how did the, the customer differ? It was It was a crazy flow, man. It was guys that I knew from like, school yeah right and just like word just got out and like i mean we talking about so when you talk about i guess when you talk about crackheads you talking about most people that smoke crack were a little bit older yeah a little bit older and already kind of run down and like a lot of game right or like giving you basically whatever they got yeah we when used you're to... dealing with people that you know that's doing powder they got money yeah. Right, you know, and they still like keep their fronts together, and they're like potentially your age or maybe a little bit older. Exactly, yeah. Like back in back in the day, uh, we used to get dolphin rentals. We would basically like crackhead would just give us <clears throat> their car. They'll be old, usually white. Yeah, we'll just ride around in their car for the day. Yeah, in exchange for some. So, uh, yeah, then yeah, you're right. Uh, people do coke. They kind of look like. You, they, you yeah, know, they look anybody. Normal. Yeah, yeah. So, so where did you? So I remember, I remember, I got, because I, I got a. You just made me rem, remind me of something that um, when I was uh, I was at the house. I was still living at home at the time, right. and uh, I had a little. My my room was in the front of the house. And uh, I had a little screen door, or a screen, you know, you have the window, then you have like a screen over the window. And I remember that I, uh, like I made a little hole in the bottom of the screen. And I would just be asleep, and people would come and they would knock on uh, on my window, yeah. right? And pop, 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 Danny, Danny. And they'd wake, I'd wake up and they'd be like, hey, let me get a, let me get a 20. You know, let me get a half gram. Let me get a gram. All hours of the day, all hour, all hours of the night, multiple times through the night, you know. And at the time, one thing that I would do was that whenever somebody hit me, I was always on the move to to make that uh to make that sale. Yeah. And that's what really that's what really uh I guess put me on. To kind of relay something interesting to y'all, when I first started cutting hair, it was kind of the same concept. I was like basically trying to cut everybody's hair. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, what that mean is like cutting kids, cutting you know white, black, old, any style that I could. Yeah. Right. Now I don't do that. Right. And the same thing when I was selling dope. That's how I started, but I didn't end like that. Right. Right. You know. So when did when did that? When did that start to change for you? When did you stop just selling to anybody at any time? So that I mean that happened a little while later. So what happened was the come up that was the come up happened really quick right then. So right. if we're saying May uh, 1998, um, I got these cats coming by the house and I'm running, I'm hot and shit, 
And uh, I ended up buying a couple, uh, you know, little like summer cars, the cars I could work on, stuff like yeah. that. But uh, by September of 1998, so so you got to keep in mind this here. So we got January 1998, I got 90 bucks, right? And if you count February, March, April, May, four months later, I get a pound, an ounce, right? So mm. that's considerable, you know, move. I mean... With, with that, you can't do a lot, but you can, you know, you could eat with that. You've yeah. got a pound and an ounce. But then you count from May, so you count June, July, August, September. Four months from there, Yeah. I thought I was killing them because at that time I bought my first key. <laughs> yeah. I bought my first kilo. I mean, and, and where I'm from at that time, it wasn't too many cats my age doing that that I knew of. Actually, right. it wasn't anybody that I knew that did that just on their own money. Right. Some guys might have got that, you know, uh, fronted to them or with some help, but I was able to do that on my own. And at that time, just to be clear, we're talking about a key was about twenty three to twenty five thousand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so at, at what point did you start to, you know, add people to your team, or Never. did you do that? Didn't have a team. Damn, so you just was doing all that just I was just running at the all front by myself. Room. Yeah. I I actually had a homeboy and uh and we're still homeboys today. But uh he was my guy but he was too sloppy. Yeah. And uh, you know, he was just kinda he was there with me, but business wasn't good for him. He's got his own story where he, he had a moment and he shined selling dope, but it wasn't mine. Yeah. Uh, now I, I believe like at one point you were going out of town a lot, right? You were going to I was it Chicago yeah. and and going back and every forth every couple of weeks, yeah. So you were basically going there, getting the stuff, and, mm -hmm. and coming back every couple of weeks, driving out there and uh, driving back. Yeah, we would do stuff like I mean, kind of like you said, not necessarily dope fiend rentals, but we would get uh sometimes we would get like legit rentals and. Uh, and we would do things that we thought were smart. Maybe we would have two cars. So maybe I would drive in the front car and then uh, somebody would drive by, behind me. You know, that way that, you know, the police wouldn't pull me over. We would All think right. anyways. Yeah, yeah. So so when did it, uh, I guess, like, you felt like you were in too deep or it was no going back? Or did you ever think about that? No, I did. I mean, that probably a little bit later on. Cause like, so this is 1998. Yeah. This is the end of 1998, and then uh, I had a run until 2001. Right. So I would say probably, uh, I would say I managed it around, because uh, at that time I was just I was hot. Like I said, I was still running everywhere, serving yeah. everybody. Um, I would say around 2000, I had an incident. That uh, really, I was like, oh shit. So kind of oh, like over this time from I would say nineteen ninety nine, I started to make my circle a little bit smaller. Right. Because I seen that I couldn't mess with everybody, and I tried to get my my personal affairs in order. Meaning, so one thing I never wanted to do was, I never wanted any girl to know that I sold dope because I didn't want her to to treat me any different. Right. So, I always kept it under wraps, right? So, meaning that what that meant was that 
if I got a call for something, I couldn't just bolt out the door and be like, I'll be back. I got to go handle business. Yeah. So what that what that looked like was I'll hit you up when, you know, tomorrow or, you know, I'm busy right now. I'll get with you later. All right, all right. So that kind of slowed that, you know, calmed me, I guess calmed it down or calmed me down. And then it kind of pushed some cats away that was too, too I guess, impatient. All right. So, and I guess, so when did the the barbering thing come into play? When did you start, like, cutting hair? Or didn't you, you have, like, a, I wouldn't say a front, but you, you, you were planning on doing something with cutting hair at some point? Or is that too far in the, in the story? Because... That's still a little bit later in the story. Okay, so, I guess, let me ask you this question. So, you were just... Selling dope, you weren't into any other hustles. There was no other, you know, you weren't doing any robbery, stealing cars. You wouldn't do nothing. No, like just, just so, selling dope. It was a full time job. So why do you why do you think people glorify selling drugs so much? Like, what's the allure to it? Like, cause it I'm, seemed like it's easy. <laughs> yeah. it, it seemed like it's easy, but it's. I remember I used to tell my homeboy that. So towards the end, right before I got busted, yeah. I would tell everybody that I was on my way out. Yeah. That, and that's like when uh, I was thinking a lot about things I could do with my money. Um, so I was like 22 years old, and I was thinking I was like, you know, I got money. I'm gonna go. I want to get a. I want to get a house. I got you know new car and stuff. But what I want to do is set up a business. Yeah. Right. So I can just go clean from here. And uh, so that's where barbering came in. But what I used to always tell my, my, my homeboys was that selling dope was is a, as addicting as doing dope. Right. Because once you're in, it's like people people don't want to see you change. Right. You know, if you that's how they know you. Or every time they see you out and about, you know, they're, they'll ask you about it. Okay, so how did you, you know, I, I don't know anybody, 98, how many years is that, 98, 99? Like five years, four years? How did you... 98, 99, 2000, some 2001. How, how did you stay in it that long? I don't know too many people who just could do it that long and not get, not get busted. I don't know the drug dealer's lifespan, but that seems like a, a pretty, pretty long time. Well, I mean, some guys doing it way longer than that never get busted. Yeah. You know, I guess... Uh, you know, some of it is, some of it is, you know, try to keep a, I guess, I guess the formula for us was don't be too hot. Right. Meaning, you know, don't drive nothing too crazy. Uh, like, I wanted a BMW at the time. Yeah. And I, I went and I bought a new car, but I didn't buy a BMW, right? This was, let's say, I bought a new car in 1998. Yeah. That same, right when, at that time, I'm talking about November. Of 1998, I went and brought a, bought a brand new 98 car, but I didn't buy what I wanted, but I bought a 98 car, right? right? And then in 2000, I bought another uh, brand new car, but I didn't buy the car I wanted. At that time, I wanted a BMW, but I knew somebody like in Grand Rapids at that time, right. if you're, you know, whatever, 20, 21 years old driving a BMW, you're out of there. Right, right. So... What was like? What was it like at home? Like with, with your family, were they like questioning you about what you were doing, or were you just wilding to the point? Like, I remember one time, uh, 
my mom came home and I had a, you're going to laugh at this, one time I had a speaker box and it had a, like 12s, you know, yeah. like a big 12 speaker box, yeah. but the speakers weren't screwed in. So I used to keep dope inside the box yeah. in the basement. So y'all don't have basements down here. Right. But uh, so this was in the basement and I would pick the speaker up, put the dope in there, whatever, right? But then one day, I guess I forgot, and I left the, uh, I had the speaker out, right? And then I guess my mom went and looked, and then I had a, it was a chrome-plated Deuce Deuce sitting there, razor blade was cracked, (laughs) powder and shit. And then later on when I seen her, she was like, Stuttering and shit, and like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, what is that? <laughs> so you were kind of like, you were private to the point like they didn't actually know or she didn't know until I guess until that point. But you were, it just wasn't. You weren't sloppy like how you how the homeboy was. No, I, w- I wasn't sloppy. I guess at, at at home, I guess my mom, I guess you could say she knew or she figured. But yeah. she she wanted to believe that it wasn't true or that I could just, that I wouldn't do it no more when she said that. Because right. she would always say, you're going to kill me with that. Don't bring yeah. that shit in here. Yeah. So to fast forward a little bit, um, you you got, th- this part of the story always trips me out because you, you were working at GNC. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, why did you start working there? So I, uh... I needed a job to pay child support. Yeah. And I needed a, a job that wouldn't give me too many hours, though. Right, right. And then I need I wanted a job that was easy. So at the time, I was actually uh, going to school, too. So okay. at, at this point now, so you're going in, this is, I guess this is a, towards, this is like when I'm, I'm all in right now. But I think right. I got my act cleaned up. Right. Because I get a job. I'm going to a community college. I'm on the dean's list at the time, right? And then I'm also enrolled in uh, in barber school, right? So yeah, I was I was working at GNC, and then what I would do is, I would uh I would have people come up to GNC, and pick up their dope package, right? <laughs> okay, so so you're the only person working when yeah. you're working there. There's nobody else working with you, right? Right. So I would put it in the GNC bag. And then pass it off to him. We'd stand there and bullshit. The store was slow. Yeah. Do you still go to GNC now? Sometimes. Is is that like a trip for you to all these years later to go back into GNC? Nah, maybe if I went to the same one. Yeah, yeah. What what are some, what are some stories about cats that are like that's around you at this time? Like, are, are people falling to the wayside? That's also in that life that you see kind of like the cat in the beginning who with the motorcycle or absolutely on all types of levels i uh you know there's a couple that 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 haunt me sometimes i think about that are guys that i went to school with that uh that we would smoke corn dogs with what i was telling you about that became that was became addicts by that time from basically from us exposing them to that yeah. You know, that's one kind of casualty right. that you would see. Um, but other guys out there hustling, 
dropping left and right. Yeah. For sure. Many guys. And as you see that, is that what's kind of pushing you to say, oh, I'm about to be out and clean up your act or or you just... But it's tough because yeah. that, that's that's what you think. But then you don't want to just drop it. You can't, It's like you can't drop it just tomorrow for whatever reason. I mean, you can, but you don't think like that. You say, well, you know, well, let me get one more, uh, let me get another car. Or let right. me get let me get to X amount of money, right? Or let me buy let me buy this for my you know my son or my daughter. Make sure they're good, right? Or let me get X amount saved up. Let me get X amount so I can you know in my pocket. It's always like another goal, right? Right. So at now at this point, you're in school. You're you're cutting hair some. You're learning how to cut hair. You're working at GNC. Uh, what's what's your exit strategy at that point, or wh- where did it start going, going left from, you trying to basically get out, or complete those those goals that you had set up at the time? I got busted. <laughs> okay, so t- tell that story because that story kind of like blew my mind because it, it it made sense but it really didn't make sense because. From how you told it, all, all your all your eyes were were dotted, you know, like so it didn't really. It it, it was a beautiful setup. Yeah, yeah. It couldn't yeah. have been any better. Yeah. Because I thought I was I thought I was smart, and I think I've told you before. I listen to some of these guys that come in here and sit in my chair, and they tell me, you know, what they do, and I listen to how loose they are. Right. And. I mean, it's uh, hell. It's a miracle they not locked up, right? <laughs> you know, but no, I um, I was uh, basically what happened was there was one guy at the time. I'm probably only messing with uh, I would say probably a a handful, maybe a little bit over a handful of guys. Right. And uh, one of those guys was a guy that I had knew for quite some time from uh, middle school days. Right. And uh, so we're talking about a guy that, like, nobody else knew where, where I lived at, right? But this guy, he, like, he knew all my business. Um, he knew where I lived at, knew where I was going. Because um, he, was, he was a friend, you know? Yeah. Not a friend that I, that I hung out with, but a friend because of how much time that we knew each other. Right. Right? I knew where he lived at, you know, all those things. Um, I would hear from him every week. Every week, uh, and every week, so he could get something from me. But you know, in between, a little bit like, "Hey, what's going on, man? What's up?" And you know, um, what when I went by his house to drop off whatever, you know, I we we talk about other stuff too, you know. Right. And I, I guess I say that to just kind of give you an idea of it wasn't just business, right. you know. But uh, maybe a week or two passed, and I didn't hear from him. And then uh, he came back. He came back up. And he told me, he was like, hey, uh, come on by. So I came by his place, and he had me bring the usual. Right. So um, when, I, uh, when I went over there, and uh, he came to greet me, he was like, well, this time, he was like, I'm going to, um, I got somebody else with me. This is blah, 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 blah. And then I was, you know, like anybody, right? Uh, 
I'm kind of like, well, who was, you know, who was this guy? And he says, uh, he says, oh, well, this guy, you know, he used to work with me and my dad last summer in our business. Him, his, his dad had a business. Right, right. And I was like, oh, okay. And this doesn't really raise a flag because we've had this happen before. And I would say we probably had this happen about three, four times that he basically introduced somebody else to me. And he didn't want to deal with those guys because those guys maybe paid a price, uh, maybe paid the same price that he was paying. So he couldn't turn a profit basically on them. Right, right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So I didn't like it, but because it was him, right? I guess is probably safe to say, because it was him, I was just like, okay, I don't like it, but I trust you, you know, your judgment. And uh, so... He introduced me to this guy, and uh, what he said was they were going to go half that day on what I gave them. So they both paid me half. And then I remember as I was getting ready to leave, the guy, uh, he said, the the guy that I had been dealing with said, Hey, um, uh, you know, do you, uh, or I'm, excuse me, the, the guy that I had just met was like, Hey, so uh, should I get your number? You know, so I can just deal with you or what? And I told him, I was like, well, you can get my number from this guy, my homeboy, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. So um, he was like, all right. So he got, I guess he got my number from him. And then he called me on his own. Right. Guy B. We call him Guy B. Right. So Guy B gets, uh, he gets my number. And then maybe like a week goes by or something. And um, meanwhile, the first guy, well, I'll just call him Guy A. He's still like you know hitting me up like usual, so a uh, guy B hits me up one day and he's like, hey, um, can I get you know X, not X dope, but you know X amount of coke. Right. So, uh, so I'm like, all right, and uh, so we meet up. I serve him. Right. So when I met him, I remember. I would feel him out, right? Kind of sit there and talk to him a little bit. Um, ask for his ID. I remember looking at his ID, you know, like looking at his address. You know, asking where you going with it. All, all these questions, right? And um, I thought it was all right. Yeah. So I remember I served him that time. He left. He called me again. I served him like two or three times. And then I remember one day he called me. He was like, hey, uh, can you do more? And I was like, yeah, sure. So then uh, he was trying to buy what I thought was an odd amount. So he was trying to buy at the time what was 10 ounces, which is an odd amount because when you, you usually buy them in denominations, like you buy an ounce, you buy two ounces, maybe three ounces. But above that... If you get, say, an AFI, yeah. and I don't know what they call it. Maybe they don't call that down here. But an AFI is, is an eighth of a key. right? right. So for, it's four and a half ounces. So you ask for an AFI, or you ask for a quarter key, which is nine ounces. right? Or you ask for a half a key, or you ask for a whole key. Right. But you don't ask for like an odd number. You don't ask for like a quarter key with an ounce, yeah. which is ten ounces. Yeah. right? But I was like... You know, every every blue moon, maybe somebody may ask for something. Like was that. was he? Obviously, he was from America, but I've I've seen in the past cats from 
the islands or something, they'll ask for these weird number, uh, like grams and shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, no, you're just a regular guy. Yeah, a regular white guy. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't. Again, I was like, that's kind of odd, but you know, whatever. And uh, I actually didn't have any at the time. Yeah, uh, that he was trying to get it. And uh, a whole nother story, I had a homeboy that I was running with at the time who didn't even sell dope. And this is, a, like, a, once again, a whole nother story. This but this the guy who had the uh, car dealership? Yeah, he yeah. worked at a car dealership. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he was maybe, he was, like, one of my one of my best friends at the time. He was he was hustling son dope, but he didn't, that was never his thing. Right. You know, he just got involved. But uh, I was, I think I was going to try to get, you know, some dope from him. Because uh, he had, he actually had dope at the time, whatever. But I waited until mine came in. And then uh, I contacted the guy. And uh, so I told him to come by GNC. So I remember the day I was, I had class. And uh, I left school. And I went and I picked up uh, what I was going to bring to GNC that day, so which was the 10 ounces right. for uh, Guy B. And then it was uh, some more dope, maybe a few ounces I had for uh, another guy. One of my homeboys was coming by. Right. So I remember I get to work, and this was in April of 2001 at this time. And uh, so I get to work. I, you know, I relieve whoever's working, right? It's all good, regular day. And the guy comes in, guy B comes in, right? And uh, once again, this, because this is a bigger purchase, I'm like kind of really trying to fill him out, right? And so I had him at the, I had him at GNC for probably like, probably a little bit over an hour, just like talking, right? Without like, without the package, right? Just like talking, talking, just kind of dragging him along, I guess. Yeah. And then I remember when I got to the when I got time, he was like, um, uh, he asked me did I have a scale, and I was like, no, nah, I don't care, I don't ride around with a scale on me, you know, but rest assured you got what you asked for. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, we, this is GNC, we do have scales here. So I remember I took him to the back room, and um, I put the scale together. And I brought out what I had for him. Yeah. We waited really quick. And I want to say, looking back, that he was kind of in a hurry. He was maybe a little nervous. Maybe. Uh, he handed me the money. And when he handed me the money, I remember I just kind of, like, I never used to really count the money. It doesn't even mean anything. Because, like, yeah. you know, most people, they count, you know, each dollar, right? But I just kind of think that's kind of funny, like, today I think about it, because I was just, like, you know, like, mm. flipping through the money, not even counting it. And then I remember I put it in my pocket. And uh, so this is, like, several thousand bucks, right? I think it was, I think it was actually $7,000 on, on the dot. And um, I remember the GNC had a, a sensor alarm. So, you know, you walk in and go, ping pong. Yeah. And... Kind of like right around we, as we were finishing the transaction, I remember he was like, "Hey, so what do you what do you say that me and you start making these runs uh, to Chicago?" 
because I guess my the guy A had told him about that. Yeah. So I was like, I remember looking at him. I was like, nah. I was like, I'm good. And he was like, all right. And then we heard ping pong. So we both like run out to see what's going on. And uh, it was my other homeboy that right. was coming in. So, you know, guy B is walking alongside me. And he goes, uh, he goes, all right, man. Well, well, thanks a lot. And uh, you know, whatever starts to starts to leave. And I remember he was all like beat red in the face. And I, I just that kind of set me off a, a certain way. I was like, you know, that made me feel uncomfortable. Right. And um, and I still remember to today one of the things that probably stuck with me was as he was walking out. I remember looking at him, and I was like, yo. And he turned around. And I was like. Call me when you get home. He was like, why? And I was like, so I know you make a home safe. Yeah. Right? And I just thought it was so fucked up about what ended up happening. Yeah. You know? Um, but he walked out, and then my homeboy was right there. And uh, my homeboy was like, hey, what's up, man? Who's that guy? And I told him, I was like, I don't know. I was like, just uh, some cat or whatever. And... Uh, I remember telling my homeboy, so it was just me and him in the store. I was like, man, I don't know about that cat. I was like, something about him makes me nervous. And he was like, well, I don't mean to make you nervous, bro, but he was like, the police are all over this motherfucker. And then I was like, what the fuck? And I remember, like, I ran to the back, and then I had this $7,000 on me, and then I put it in the box. And um, But I still had his dope in my pocket. Right. So when I come out, uh, um, you just hear that ping pong go going off. Yeah. So, so what? Actually, uh, yeah. When I came back out, there was a couple guys, big white guys, standing looking at something, and I walked over. You know, I tried to get myself together. I'm like, walk over, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? How can I help you? And they were like, yeah, what's the difference between this and this? So I kind of, I have to step in so I can grab the product off of the wall, right? Yeah. So they're behind me. So I'm like, well, this is this, and this is this, and these are the differences or whatever. And then I remember, bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong. And then my back, my hands were behind my back, and I was pushed up against the wall. Yeah. My homeboy was still sitting in the store. Right. Lucky for him, I never gave him his dope. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, from there, you know, I guess they questioned him or whatever, but they couldn't do anything with him. So he ended up going home. And I remember my balls dropped in my feet, man. I remember because I got caught with his, you know, well, it was my dope, but it was for him. Yeah. Uh, then they found the money, right. you know. And uh, so Guy B was a guy that worked for what they called the, uh, the West Michigan Metropolitan Drug Team. We met yeah. at the time. And so what happened was guy A had got busted right. and uh, decided to cooperate. And uh, so the whole the whole reason, because I asked myself, well, how come I hadn't seen you for a couple of weeks? And he told me, he said that he was out with kidney stones. Right. So it was all a lie. He yeah. wasn't out with kidney stones. He just got busted. You know, and then Guy B was just an officer, and uh, 
that de- that was well, the the couple days leading up to to that incident. They had me on uh, surveillance, All right. and they seen me going up to uh, to some apartments. But they didn't. They see me going to apartment building, but they didn't see me going. They didn't know what apartment building, right? So at this point, you know, I'm busted or whatever, and they bring me down to the county jail, and they're like, "Well, what apartments were you going into? We seen you going into some apartments." Oh shit, yeah. And so, then uh, you remember this? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I was just like, "Well, uh, you know, I gave him some bogus name or something." I was like, "He's my homeboy or whatever," and. Um, I was supposed to, um, so this was my uh, my son's mother at the time lived in these apartments. Yeah. And uh, so I used to keep uh, quite a bit of dope over there. And uh, I was supposed to pick her up from school that night. But obviously I didn't make it because I was in jail. And she didn't know that. So she actually went to my place and uh, was, you know, to look for me. And then I guess all these cars must have been unmarked cars that were there. So they were like rummaging through my stuff, like looking for dope at my place. Yeah. And um, so she walks up, knocks on the door or whatever. And um, so they open the door and they're like, well, who are you? And I guess she shows her or shows them her ID, which shows the address of the apartments that they had been asking about. <laughs> you get it? Yeah. And uh, so... They take her to, you know, take her home. They go into the apartment, and they knew exactly where it was at. I don't know if she told them. Where. I don't know if she got scared and told them where it was at, or they just imagined where it was at easily. Yeah. But they went in there, and they found, you know, I guess what was close to, you know, another, you know, <laughs> package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to say the size, but, yeah, we get it. So at that point, so guy A was that was the guy who was was sloppy, right? That's the guy who got busted and basically Not that's not my homeboy I'm talking about that sloppy. Yeah. That's just in the guy that yeah got busted. So he did he he snitched on me. He snitched on you and the people in Chicago, right? No. He didn't no. snitch on them. He snitched on me and then he knew that I had a running buddy, the one that used to work at a at a car dealership. Right. Um that's who he snitched on, us two. Right. So, so why didn't he uh, snitch on the homeboy? Or, or on what Chicago? homeboy? Uh, he didn't know Chicago. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, because we were going to Chicago. Yeah. But he didn't. I mean, he was, he never was a part of that to, to go. Right, right. He right. just knew that there was uh, somebody that exists. Right. So uh, at that point, did you start to mentally prepare yourself for prison? Or what was... What was going through your mind at that point? Uh, you don't know. You don't know. Like, I mean, at the time, I'm thinking, you know, yeah. I, I thought I knew people that got busted and got out. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, shit. Hell, I'm, I go to school. I'm on a dean's list. You know, I'm working. That's got to mean something. Right, right. You know, and plus, you know, whoop de woo he got busted. He's on the street. This cat, he got, you know, they busted him. He's out. Right. You know? So, at that point, did you just, you know, you you weren't worried or like? Hell yeah, you were. <laughs> but, I mean, at the same time, you thought you were getting out. So, what did, you, did you think you were going to end up back at the 
halfway house or no nah, no more halfway house at this point yeah. so you know like they're telling you they're like well you're looking at whatever 20 years in prison 40 years in prison 60 years in prison so basically they're like stacking all these cases because I, I have these multiple charges because I sold right. to this guy multiple times right, right. so basically they're kind of like okay well you know we got these charges we could we could put on you and then we also have this charge what what we found in the apartment we could easily put on you uh so you're not getting out anytime soon so they right. want you to you know they want you to cooperate as well right right uh if you don't cooperate this is what you're looking at right right i mean i know in my mind i'm like what well, shit i mean I, everybody know i'm busted if you see me out, I mean, you know, what's this? I got kids and shit, my mom, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I can't do that. Yeah. Um. So I'm hoping that what I had going on with myself will pull me through. Right. But probably the worst time, probably of all of it, is when you are in jail because you don't know, you just don't know. So you don't have the... You don't have the, uh, I guess, the clarity of, you know, after you get sentenced, whatever it is, you know, at least you know you can start to walk it down. Right. But when you're, before you get sentenced, you don't even know what you're going to do. Right. So I guess on one side, you still can be hopeful. But on the other side, you don't know. It could be one year. It could be 10. It could be 40, for all you know. Right. So that can be stressful. So, uh, so now, now I don't want to fast forward too much, but. Once you was actually sentenced, you didn't you didn't have any uh, gain affiliation. You didn't have to go to any solitary confinement. Were you just straight general population? Yeah, like, yeah. How, how was how was that? Because the the Danny I know, I mean, you're into salsa dancing. You just you just don't look like the guy to be there. Like, how did how did you? Uh, like what was going through your your mind? Cause you had you had a crib, you you had cars. Like how did you? You gotta leave all that behind. You gotta leave all that behind. You gotta learn real quick. Yeah. You know your life in prison is uh, that's a different life. Yeah. You know you you're, I guess the inside of you, you know you gotta, you know they say. You guys have heard the saying, uh, "Only the strong survive," right? Right. And then they say, uh, you know, the uh, later on they say, well, it's the smart that right. survived. But then in prison they say it's the ones that can adapt the most that right. survive. So you got to be able to adapt so you change. Yeah, so what are, how are the people that you're meeting? Because most people, you know, have this idea that prison is this wild, crazy place people getting stabbed, raped, all this stuff. Happens. And it, it happens, but it's not a, I've never been to prison, but it's not like that you, to a certain extent. How, like, how was it for you? You know, like, did you, I guess, like, did you have to go to one side? You know, you know how it's, I guess, like, color segregated, you know, did, how did you handle that, having, being in a four by nine cell with a 
with a bunkie? Like, how did you, um, were you able to just discipline yourself to just live in those circumstances or? Well, you have to, to a degree. You know, I was just telling somebody today that one of the things that prison bless, bless anybody with, well, you have to be open to, to receive it, is that it puts you in a position where you have to get along with people that maybe you don't like. Right. People of different, um, you know, cultural background, uh, ethnic background, whatever, social background, all those things. Right, right. So at what point did, because you're already going to school for barbering, so in prison is that where you kind of took on that, that, that passion and really developed it, or how did that come about? Yeah, so when I came to prison, they asked me one day uh, early on uh, when you do orientation. They said, well, uh, we've seen that you have um, some school as a, as a barber. Would you, be, uh, would you be interested in being a prison barber? Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess I probably thought about it for a second because I wasn't a good barber yet. Right. So I was like, well, I don't know. But then I was, you know, I was like, yeah, all right. Why not? Like, so during this time, were you thinking about, I, I know, like, f- for me, if I go to a job, I'm always thinking about <laughs> going home. I'm thinking about going to the crib. So, like, to be somewhere you don't want to be, how is, how are you handling that mentally? In prison? Yeah. How am I handling being in prison? Yeah, like. You just got to come to terms with it. You got to come to terms with, uh. You gotta like your uh, your friends, your girlfriend, yeah. whatever you got. That you gotta leave that behind. Like you can't have any. I guess maybe a good way to put it is you can't have any emotional ties, baggage. Like you right. just gotta be your life, your new life in prison. Right, right. Um. So as you as you started to cut hair, was was that kind of like a an escape for you once you started getting into it or because or how did how did because you were in prison what was it 10 years 12 years 10 years so at one point you were low-key like the best barber in in uh in prison like how how was that because I guess it's like when you're in prison you feel most people might may feel like you can't really achieve anything that you're held down so you can't be good at anything you you're just you're punished base basically yeah so there was a come up in in prison with cutting hair yeah i was uh i was i was working in uh in a barber shop with a couple guys uh so uh a couple black guys yeah. right and uh both of them were really good barbers, uh, but they only they only cut, you know, black hair, right? Right. And uh, so at the time, I was just getting practicing, I guess you could say, with uh, with white guys. Right. And then all the Hispanic cats would come to me right. anyway, right? Yeah. And uh, so what happened was, uh, working with these two guys, you know, I just kind of see how they were cutting hair. And then over time, probably over the course of about a, a year and a half or so, uh, one of them left. Right. And then when he left, it was me and then one uh, the other guy. 
and then they brought in a new guy. Right. So then the guys that would come in the barbershop was like, well, let me let me give my man a shot. I've seen him here for a while. And I started kind of growing my clientele like that. Right. And then the other guy that I work with, he ended up leaving. So now what ended up happening was everybody that used to come to the barbershop to see those two guys that I originally started with started coming to see me. And then I just started getting more and more practicing. You know, it's a lot of it is just about reps. Right. And I'm the type of person where... You know, if I'm doing something every day, I'm going to figure out a better a way to do it better, be more efficient. So right. I walk around, just look at everybody's head. I'm looking at music. You got to use your resources. So I'm right. looking at music videos, seeing how artists getting their hair cut. Right. You know, thinking like creative ways, like trying to get my hands on Source Magazine so I can see rappers' haircuts and you right. know, try to figure out how to do it, stuff like that. You know, ordering books and looking at, you know... Uh, new looks and styles and fades. Yeah. That's all, you know, you gotta ingenuity. You gotta yeah. use what you got. Okay, so check it. Danny started dropping a lot of good game, and it was just a little bit too much for this one episode. So I decided to break it up in two parts. So check back next week and see what happens next with Danny as he maneuvers through prison, being a barber, as well as getting out of prison and turning his life around and becoming the man that he is today. This OG Fonz, holla.